Welcome to another episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today's guest is Cody Stewart. Cody is a product analytics manager at Sunbelt Rentals. And before we get into Cody's bio, I wanted to talk about the lead up to this interview. So one of the goals that we set with the Rental Journal podcast a while ago was that we wanted to start doing more in-person podcasts. So we've got all of our video equipment, we've got a, we bought a bunch of podcasting equipment and we traveled to almost every single guest that we interview now and complete those interviews in person. Now the challenge is we wanted to try and do more podcast interviews overseas. Uh, a lot of listeners want to hear from US companies or companies in the UK or Europe or wherever, New Zealand. So uh, we, we, we knuckled down and we, we did a tour of the US and we completed, I think it was eight interviews over a period of time. Every single one was in person and we wanted to talk to local people. So uh, Sunbelt Rentals is definitely one of the companies I wanted to connect with. And Cody Stewart's got an amazing story where he was involved in a family business, which was called DJ Rentals, which was eventually acquired by Sunbelt Rentals. So during this podcast, we learn about his lead up to the industry, being a part of a family organization out of Tennessee and eventually getting acquired by Sunbelt Rentals. So what it's actually like to be bought by a larger organization like Sunbelt. And then his journey on how he went from working in the operations team to eventually getting involved in the BI team, right? which is why his title is Product Analytics Manager. So what does that actually mean? So we, we dive into that. So I'm really excited because we've put a lot of effort into trying to travel around the world to complete these interviews and create good content. And this is the first one. So hope everyone enjoys it and let's get into the podcast. Look, I just flew into Nashville uh, and in Tennessee, just drove down uh, to Columbia. Now at the Sunbelt Rentals uh, location. Uh, now, maybe we just, we're sort of at the present times. So let's just go back in time a little bit and talk about DJs, uh, yourself uh, and your family, the family business. So maybe about how you first got into that industry and what was DJs. Okay. So uh, my grandfather was in the military and got out of the military in Oklahoma and bought a small rental company that was out there. And it was pretty much inside of a gas station. And at the time, the largest piece of equipment they would rent would be a mortar mixer and was averaging about $7 a day. And then that's when oil field was blowing and going out west. So, you know, got into renting a bunch of equipment to oil fields and expanded. And, uh, and then when the oil field all took a tank back in the late 80s about 86 that's when they expanded to the tennessee side and so we moved our moved their operation out here dj's rentals uh started in columbia here in tennessee and then we expanded to a store in franklin and uh and then from then i, I pretty much grew up here every uh every day after school i was here every weekend you know i would come here on saturdays when i was six or seven years old and my dad would take a wrench and loosen up all the little bolts on a Honda engine and have five or six of them sitting there and tell me just to take apart every bolt I could see. And, uh, so I kind of just learned how to do mechanic in and pressure washing and things like that all the time. Uh, by the time I came seven or eight years old, I was loading backhoes on semi trucks and, uh, learning how to rewire trailers. And it was, it was essentially was my babysitter when I was a kid is, uh, <laughs> 
having our little our little DJ's family, you know, following around different employees, learning how to mechanic or learning how to, you know, just do different things. And uh, it was an interesting way to grow up, but it, it taught a whole bunch. Yeah, and that was that same building that we're in right now, yeah? We moved in this building when I was probably about 15 years old. So interestingly enough, we were right next door. Um, okay. Yeah, so we didn't move very far, but we just expanded to a larger building. Um, so yeah, when I was a kid and I spent a lot of time in the building next door, actually drove through that fence a few times with a couple of tractors. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. So so DJs that was there, you were obviously um, uh, growing up within the business and then uh, you eventually worked full time or what was that? I did. About the time I was about 15 years old, um, I was given the choice, you know, hey, if you want to have a truck, you need to you need to start earning more money and doing it. So I started working every day after school. And then every Saturday at that time, we were open all day on Saturday. Um, and then obviously during spring and summer breaks, I was working, you know, six days a week, 11 hour days, just all summer long. Um, started off yard guy out there loading and unloading equipment moved to uh doing light mechanicing small engine work uh, even was a small driver for a short while driving the you know pickup truck and trailer delivering stuff all over the place then i left and went to uh, college for a short bit and then was still working on the weekends at that point came back started working on the counter and that's when uh we added another store in Franklin at that time where, you know, we were expanding. We had a store in Franklin. We put a store in Spring Hill and I had the opportunity to become the assistant manager of the store here. So I uh, did that and kind of just worked my way up until I was eventually running all the stores. My, uh, my father kind of took a step back and let me take over. And it was a, uh, it was a different transition. I was quite young. I was probably 22 years old when I started taking over a lot of the operations and, uh, but I had literally done every aspect of the business and have been here my entire life. And I was always very, uh, you know, methodical about the way I did things and thought and very frugal. Um, I was always told I was too cheap. I squeaked when I walked, but, uh, <laughs> so I was always very into getting down to the details about what we spent our money on, how we did things. And, uh, and as an independent, it was kind of limited on the amount of information that you could have. Yeah. So I, uh, I joined things like the, in the ARA, I joined all the rental analytics and, and under, did their little programs and of how to understand your financials and was always trying to constantly learn more about the financial side of the business instead of just the operational side and kind of understand how the little nuances of how things worked inside the business, you know, what affects what. You know, if we could tweak this, how could we get better at this? And uh, whereas, you know, the two generations before me was, oh, if we have money left in the bank at the end of the month, we're doing a great job. And I was more, I want to know how that money got there. You know, mm. that way I can exploit it and make it better. Yeah. So it was, it was a, a big difference in changes of how I went from, you know, yard to shop to driving to counter and then, kind of ultimately taken over but mm. uh but no it, it was at that point it was in my blood it was you know it, i actually thought i was going to be a meteorologist one day and uh and then after 
going to school and thinking about it, you know, it's, it's the rental industry is a unique industry and it kind of drew me back in and I couldn't imagine doing anything else. That's why I'm kind of glad I was able to expand to what I do now. Yeah, well, when you look at like a rental business, like you can have that mindset where you're just taking money in and investing the money back in and buying more equipment and employees. But there's so much analytics behind the operations and the financials of a business. Like if you divvied up into the like the pillars, like the sales, rental, service, parts, and then the financials, like there's so much nuances that you can do to like, as you said, understand how and why you're making the money and then tweak something over here to maybe increase your damage recovery or your transport recovery, or maybe we can increase our utilization if we change the way that we rent our equipment or the rates like this. It, it, it truly is an analytical business. And if you don't have the data to support it, you can't make those decisions. Right. And that's why it's hard as a, as an independent to, for one, collect that information and then have enough of it to be able to see the trend and and see how little changes can make a difference. Um, I mean, you get your financials, you see where you're spending money and how it's going, but to if you only own 10 sewer augers and you're trying to find out a trend, it's kind of hard mm. to see that. But when you have a thousand of them, you have a lot of back data that you can track and see what, what, what works better and what doesn't. If we made a change at this time of the year to this one, would this gets their rent better than it does, you know, in this area. When you're independent, you just, you don't have a lot of the information. But now, data is important even to in, to to uh, independence. Um, just having access to it is is kind of difficult. Yeah, even take the extreme case where you've just got one account code and you push everything into a revenue account rather than splitting it up into the subcategories. Yeah, it's like a very basic thing, but like a lot of companies, like a lot of independents, probably don't do that. No, and, and that was something that we kind of re, restructured. And in all honesty, when I started taking over the the operation side, we didn't even rent our equipment by asset number. It was, you know, hey, I know we have seven skid steers. I see three of them sitting out there. I know I got four on rent. One's coming back tomorrow. It was something you just kept in your head. But it's kind of really hard to track how, like, what piece of equipment is doing really good for you yeah. uh, when you don't do it that way. So, you know, putting that into play was I think a big step being able to track our our rental revenue per asset or being able to track the amount of repairs that goes into it and understanding what cost of ownership was for for your equipment makes a huge difference even even something as you know small as just having 10 units if if you have a unit that is constantly having issues and you're not able to pinpoint it and figure out the reason why um, it can really cost you a lot of money going down the road Mm -hmm. And then the challenge that I think independents can have is if you move from renting just at a model level, so you know you've got six of these small units or six excavators, let's just say, or skid steers or whatever it is, and you tell someone, no, 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 you need to rent it by serialized number, you have to have a process now in place. And someone that's never followed a process before, it turns into a, a, almost like a, well, it's, it's making our lives harder but obviously, in the long run, it makes everything much easier. Is that something that you sort of ran into when you were sort of trying to transition that over? Most definitely. So I'm not going to lie. We tried probably 10 or 15 different scenarios of doing different things. And I think a lot of times with, I know with us, 
coming up with an idea and trying to put it through that first thing that initially comes out is, Oh, that's never going to work for the way we do things. Mm. And, and overcoming the idea of it will work. And we just have to figure out a way to make it work that fits our, you know, the way that we do our business. Uh, that's, that part was important because having those conversations, we were constantly, you know, coming up with an idea and that, Oh, that's never going to work for us. Well, you can't have that kind of mentality. Yeah. And that was something that at the very beginning was kind of rough when we were trying to get switched over to serialized with, because, you know, it as an independent, it's just go, 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 go. And we're not going to sit there and wait for trying to get a number right or whatever else, because we got people waiting and there's five people behind them. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's difficult to, to put those strict rules in place when you control the rules. Mm. And, uh, we we were a Penske dealer for a short bit, and that was always something that agitated me. Is I've got the truck sitting right here, but I can't rent it to them because the paperwork's not right, and you couldn't change it, so you had to fix it. Well, as an independent, and you own every part of the process, it's hard for you not to be like, "Oh, just just put it on there. We'll figure it out later," which then kind of destroys the whole yeah. process behind it. Yeah, um, and then someone forgets or goes on a whiteboard, yeah, or a spreadsheet or somewhere. Yeah, it's it's those little processes that that really make a difference, and and you have to have those when you expand. Um, you know, when you when you're going from five skid steers to twenty five, it's a lot harder, especially across two or three stores, to keep in your head where all that stuff's at. And you know, you lose one skid steer that's worth thirty thousand dollars. That that's a huge you know huge chunk of your profits, mm. and so getting that down pat when we were slightly smaller and we were expanding so quickly uh, was kind of paramount to how we how we did things mm. now we obviously weren't as structured as some belt is but uh but I, I felt we went a long ways in a short period of time to... and then so fast forwarding so then how did the like the the business obviously grew you took over more of the locations uh it sounded like you were sort of keeping that family business but you were eventually acquired so so talk me through that that next stage so we were actually in the middle of a process of uh doing our succession plan of which i was going to be you know taking over i took over all of operations the financial side but actually taking over full ownership um we were kind of putting together a, a kind of a, a success plan to get that done and we were approached by um, by Sunbelt to say, hey, you know, we're, we're wanting to move into the area. Are you willing to sell? And, you know, my initial thing at the time was, no, we're not, because I was just, you know, coming into my prime, wanting to get in, involved in, into the actual full ownership of it. And the, uh, they decided, well, just have lunch with us, and we'll see where it goes. So me and my parents all got together. We had lunch with them. Um, over a course of a couple of weeks of conversations, deal was struck and they said all right we close in 60 days and it was like that quick uh the, how everything changed and uh yeah you know, at the time it was a bit daunting you know with just the overwhelmingness of everything that was going on and uh but ultimately it was probably one of the best decisions we ever made it was it was uh it was a great thing for us and so 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 why do you think you changed your mind. Well, money obviously plays a, a role in part of that. Uh, and two, the rental industry has changed in the last, even in the last 10 years with 
you know, different risk, everything else involved with, um, you know, the safety rules and regulations around MUP and AWP. Um, we were not a very safety culture company at that point. And coming into Sunbelt now and, and seeing that really just showed us how far off the ball we really were when it comes to that. But, you know, all the added risk and the, you know, the change and how everything was going and seeing the opportunity that may lay, lay ahead with Sunbelt after having a lot of discussions really kind of pushed us that direction. Um, like I said, our, our initial reaction was, no, we're not even interested. But after sitting down and thinking about what, what could evolve from it, it, it really changed your mind. Mm. And then, so talk me through the, the build-up process. You said they close in 60 days. So uh, if there's probably a lot of independents that are listening to this podcast, so they'd be interested to understand what actually goes on during an acquisition through, through Sunbelt. So what was the process that, like, did they come in and just change the, the banner? Like, what was, the, what was that full process? So we, um, once we had everything set and the date set for the switchover, you know, they came in slightly beforehand and kind of set our stuff up. We had a good conversation with all of our employees. Um, one, one great thing is that, you know, whenever they came in, they said, hey, we're, you know, we have the equipment. We have everything we need from that. We are, we're here to buy you, you know, your name, your employees, you know, in that type of scenario. So it was really great to have the fact that they were, really interested in keeping everybody that we had so they sat down had interviews with all of our people and told them you know you know hey you know, you're you're everybody here is actually going to be gaining more because uh, they can offer a lot more to my employees than what we could do as an independent uh, so that that was a, a good part of it now obviously during the process it was a bit chaotic you know getting the computer switched over uh getting more fleet because you know they obviously brought in tremendous and much more fleet having access to more fleet was something that we never had before you know as an independent we had a certain set amount of gear you know if somebody came up and says hey i need to rent 20 scissor lifts i own 10 of them i just couldn't do it and and having that that switch from one day to the next when they're like oh hey you've got access to pretty much unlimited equipment somebody comes in wanting 100 scissor lifts you make a few phone calls, we'll make it happen. And that, that was huge. That's a big difference from what I could offer before. Uh, now the safety culture and, and different things of, you know, how some operated to what we operated as an independent was a, was a huge adjustment. I think it was a great adjustment and because I didn't really know or understand how much of a risk we put ourselves through around you know safety and how we did things um and looking back I, i've had this conversation many times when having a kind of a safety meeting and just how lucky we were as an independent um through different scenarios that had happened that something didn't arise from it so mm. now the safety culture was a big shock you know we you know for all intents and purposes when we were an independent we didn't use safety harnesses we uh we didn't have you know high visibility uh, suits. We, you know, we ran our trucks dang near 24 seven, you know, it, there, those, those rules and regulations that we either didn't understand or didn't follow, uh, are there for a reason. And it, it really was eye opening to see how big of a difference it makes. Um, now the processes 
like we spoke about before, you know, as an independent, we're always, oh, that can't work for us. We're just too busy. Um, so that, that was, that was a, a big step saying, Hey, whenever you have a piece of equipment come back in, we got to check it out the proper way. Um, whereas as an independent, I can't tell you how many times I'd have people lined up outside waiting for a piece of equipment to come back. And I didn't even unload it off a trailer. It was just unhook it. All right, back up to it, you know, roll it back out. Uh, I literally was calling people at four 30 in the afternoon saying, Hey, I know it's due back tomorrow, but if you're done with it, I'll give you an extra 50 bucks back. Cause I got somebody waiting on it. And, and just that, you know, not really checking the equipment out and not really going through all the processes and what a difference that truly makes, you know, when you have to do it and you understand how that translates to getting your equipment in tip top shape mm. and it, it makes a, a, a big difference. And as an independent, it was like, Oh, that can never work. You know, just say, telling somebody you can't rent it to them just yet because it just came off a truck. Um, whereas, you know, before, you know, we would send out a five gallon bucket with a hydraulic oil and it says, Hey, it's leaking a little bit. Just keep feeding it to it and you'll be all right. <laughs> uh, you know, and uh. it's, it's just a, a big difference culturally, yeah. but, um, but ultimately it, it's, it's great having those rules in place is better for not only your company, but for your customers. Cause they, they can now ex- expect not to get a five gallon bucket full of hydraulic oil that they have to keep feeding to a machine. They can expect to get a machine that's going to work. Um, so that, that was a, a big difference. And I'm sure it's like that with a lot of independence because, you know, you got a minute, amount of equipment and you got to make as much money off of it as you possibly can. Mm. And your thought process is if it's sitting here and somebody's wanting it, I'm losing money. Whereas in reality, if you get back to checking the data, the, the less you check it out, the less you maintain it, the, the more money it costs you down the road, down mm. the road. So, and then from a, a culture standpoint within DJs, uh, your employees, uh, that's a big thing. Cause you would have, Typically, independents have quite a long tenure for their employees that have been almost part of that family mm-hmm. business. How did they take the the acquisition? I think it was a shock right at first, just having that initial meeting with them and saying, hey, by the way, um, you know, in two weeks, we're going to be selling about rentals or whatever the timeline was. I can't remember, remember how long it was when we announced it. Um, I think what put them at ease is having that, that interview process with Sunbelt realizing that Sunbelt themselves actually were backdating their tenure uh, that they had with DJs to translate into Sunbelt. So if they worked with DJs for 10 years, you know, day one starting Sunbelt, it's like they had worked for Sunbelt for 10 years. So they get all the benefits and everything else that comes along with having a a long tenure with Sunbelt. Um, And just overall knowing how much more a large company like Sunbelt could offer them, you know, beyond just monetary, but with benefits and, and training and just the, just the overall options that you have inside the rental industry, you know, as an independent, we have very strict kind of buckets of where we need people. We need somebody in the shop. We need somebody on the counter. We need a driver. Mm. And, you know, that's kind of where we all just fit. Whereas when you get a big company, there's all the, the supporting roles you got, you know, you got the, the, the safety people, you have the, people who do just, you know, the accounts receivable and you have the analytics people and you have just all these different options that you can expand to. And, and I think knowing that it helped out a lot because you you hate to say that as a, as an independent, that somebody who works for you is in a dead end job, 
because they can't really expand any further. They're not going to own the business one day. They're not going to expand into something further. Um, and having that option, I think, really spoke to a bunch of my employees. Mm. Um, spoke to me uh, as, as part of it. So I, I think that went a long ways. And then when we were talking uh, previously beforehand, you, you told me quite an interesting story around uh, when a customer called you and said that they damaged one of the machines. So it'd be interesting if you just to share that experience. I think that's a great story. Yeah, so I think it was about two weeks after Sunbelt had acquired us. I uh, actually got a phone call from a customer and said that they were driving down the road and saw one of our you know T870 track skid steers completely submerged in the mud and water, sent me a photo of it. And, uh, and he said, Hey, I don't know who has this on rent from you, but I figured you needed to know. And as soon as I saw the photo, like I could feel the pit of my stomach dropping. I was immediately going back through, all right, I bought this machine. I put it on a 48 month note. I owe three more years on it. And this, you know, the machine costs X amount of dollars. I'm going to have to write a check for 50 or 60 grand. And I'm just thinking, like, all right, how am I going to do this? Cause I'm probably not going to get paid by this independent, you know, about, you know, this customer. And then it kind of just clicked. It's, you know, that machine isn't mine anymore. It's Sunbelt's. You know, I work for Sunbelt. You know, they, they have rules and regulations around this. I'm not having to cut a check for it. And that was probably one of my first nights when I went home and was like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. You know, not having that worry because I know if I was still at, you know, still an independent going home carrying that with me that a fact that I'm going to have to you know stroke a check for however much money it was going to be is sickening just mm. you know because that's all you can think about at that point which isn't good for home life or whatever else you're sitting there trying to eat dinner and talk with your family and the only thing you're thinking about in the background is all right I'm going to have to I'm going to have to cut a check I'm going to have to cut a check and it just eats you up and it was like a weight was lifted off my shoulders at that point and it, it allows me to really stick with the equipment rental industry, which is something that I love. It's been my whole life without having that just overwhelming stress that comes along with owning a business. Mm. Um, and that was a, I call it my clarifying moments when I, uh, the switching to Sunbelt was probably one of the best things we ever did. Uh, awesome. So then, so you've got that story where basically you, you're getting rid of that, that, that fear or that, that, that anxiety when it comes to that, that, that note that you had on the, on the machine and paying out that bill as an independent did, then moving into more of a under some belt, the stress at home, like thinking about work as much, is that something that reduced as well? Like the, the fear, like the, the panic, the, the constantly thinking about tomorrow or next week or the cash flow or whatever it is as well. It does. It does. I mean, even with, you know, I came on as a manager, so you, you still have those, that, that thinking of what's going to happen tomorrow, but it, it's different. It's that excitement now of, you know, hey, I'm getting to go into work. I'm getting to do what I like to do without the fact of wondering if something goes wrong and if I'm going to get a paycheck or whatever the case may be. Uh, it's that excitement of, all right, I get to go in tomorrow. I get to engage, you know, with this person or this person or with, you know, and this also expanding, you know, something that we didn't do a bunch of befores with salespeople or big job sites because we had our little niche. So it was, it was kind of invigorating to expand my knowledge into something that I had done my entire life. Mm. Um, and I, I'm a big, big fan of learning. 
And so now I had all this information at my fingertips. I had this, you know, all these different avenues of business that I, you know, never have delved into at all. Um, and so it was, it was a great experience to just learn more about something that I've been doing my whole life, learn different ways to do things. Uh, like I can't tell you how many times I was having conversations, you know, Hey, you know, we thought about getting into this piece of equipment, but we didn't think it'd make any money. But man, it does a really good job. I never thought we could use it for this aspect. And mm. it was a lot of little nuances like that that was great. I mean, coming home, you still have your worries, but it's nothing like it was before. My home life was a lot better. My wife was always talking about how, you know, coming home and worrying and being up till one o'clock in the morning, you know, was always just something growing through my mind. Yeah. And now I kind of had that, you know, come home and like, oh, hey, we got this new piece of equipment in or, hey, I got to learn about this or, you know, we have an entire climate control division or, you know, all these specialty things that we didn't have access to before. And it was it, it kind of brought the fun back. Mm. And then so talking about opportunities. So, so you obviously uh, uh, were you transitioned into Sunbuilt as the profit center manager. Mm hmm. Uh, for this particular location talk me through that progression because you, you spoke about like opportunities within Sunbelt as well and and you've moved into a completely different department now so maybe talk me through the the moment that you became that professor manager and then that career progression yeah so uh as part of our deal when we switched over i was gonna stay on as the the manager of um, actually both the locations for a short while then ultimately just the the main one here in columbia and you know, it was it was part of my my goal as as coming on the Sun Belt was to expand beyond this store. Um, not that as as an independent, I didn't love the store, but I always felt like I knew I was going to be here forever. And um, and that was one of the things when we sold, talking to all the different levels of management, all the different people involved, and hearing the fact that they started off in a store and then moved into a different role. Uh, it was something that got me thinking about what I could do. And I always had a, a knack for, you know, technology stuff and, and really wanting to learn more, wanting to, you know, just dig into the minute details. I was very methodical about a lot of things. And, um, you know, we, with Sunbelt, we got, you know, I came into an environment where we worked off of reporting where before I was having to, almost create my own reporting because, you know, I just didn't have the information readily available. I was trying to think of ways to get it. And, you know, you step in the Sunbelt's world and there's reports for everything. And I would literally spend hours at night just digging into stuff and be like, oh man, this is pretty cool how you can figure this out and how you can see this. And, and so that's what led me into trying to learn a new skill, which was Excel. Uh, I'd always been good at doing formulas in Excel, but just really expanding on, you know, after seeing some of the reports that they had with all these crazy slicers and buttons and just a really cool look mm. and instead of just a grid. And so I uh, started learning and got certified at, you know, basic certification in Excel, went back, got my expert certification in Excel. And, and then I was like, all right, I really love doing these kind of analysis inside of Excel. And so I decided, well, this is what I want to do. And next thing I did is I, you know, brought up to our Sunbelt directory of employees, 
scrolled down until I found the first person with the uh, title analytics behind their name, and I literally just dialed his phone number right then, got on the phone with a, a director of advanced, advanced analytics at our uh, support office, and, I mean, the guy answered the phone. I said, hey, my name's Cody Stewart. I'm the Profit Center Manager in Columbia, Tennessee, and I want to get into analytics. What do I need to do? And I literally talked to that guy for like an hour and a half, um, just right off the rip. And he said, you need to talk to this person. You need to talk to this person. You need to learn how to do this. Uh, two weeks later, I was on a conference call with like all the department heads in the analytics side, and they were um, just, you know, they were they loved the fact that I came from the field and knew the business and had an interest in the analytics side. And so they were like, hey, you know, we're, you know, expand your skills in this, this, and this, one of which was Power BI. And, uh, and we can definitely work on getting you involved in some of our projects so you can see how we operate and how we do things. So I started studying Power BI, got certified three months later. And uh, was at that point was already building some of my own reports and I was involved in some projects and it just intrigued me. Like it was mind blowing to me that you could take so much information, find a value to it, tell a story with it and then make minute changes and then see how it affects a multi-billion dollar company and then see how that needle moves for something for something that you came up with an idea of. And, and then put into place mm. and it uh it still intrigues me and so that's kind of what led me into the position i got in now and so it's probably a topic we want to talk about a bit so so sunbelt loves when people want to take on more challenges and and diversify their skills because i think some people think if they make that phone call and and ask a director of whatever operations that they're they're looking at moving into that, that the person would push back and say, no, 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 just keep doing your job, whatnot. But Sunbelt wants you to take on more challenges and, and they love the facts. So is that something that is like part of the culture, do you think? It is. And and honestly, I didn't realize it because I'd never been in a like a corporate style structure. And so when I made that call, I didn't have the expectation of the guy even answering the phone. Um, and I, I kind of figured it was going to be, hey, don't bug me with this. You know, you need to go to school and, and, you know, have a bachelor's or a master's degree in this and this and this. And, you know, you, you don't know anything about it. Don't waste my time type scenario. I'm very busy. And it wasn't the case at all. It was, you know, Hey, we, we love the fact you're interested in it. You know, here are some projects. Here's this, you know, learn this, talk to these people. And it, it just exploded from there. And every single department head I talked to was very helpful and it, was eye-opening for how you know the, how corporate structure works you always think of you know people that are up there with these fancy roles as sitting behind their big their big desk but really they're normal people and you know they were actually excited about the fact that i wanted to get into it um so that that was that was great and still even now i'm reaching out to people all the time that i haven't talked to and every one of them has been very helpful so so look that that really is the definition of networking as well, like putting yourself out there to like talk to other people. Is that something that you you always sort of understood beforehand, or because I, I, after doing that one reach out call and then that opportunity, you've probably realized the power of actually just asking questions and and trying to talk to more people. Is that something that you you really uh, try and do more proactively? 
Especially now. Yes, most definitely. I mean, as, as a rental business owner, you know, we would go to the, the different shows or whatever else. And, and it was always good to make connections with other people because you can gain insights in what's going on in other parts of the country, what equipment does good and what doesn't. So I always had that, that, that mentality of that somebody out there knows more than I do. And so you can always learn something from somebody. So I've always been big on, you know, Hey, you, you knock on the door, you call somebody, you figure out, you know, if you have an answer, you know, don't just sit at home and, and wonder, you know, mm. get out there and make it happen. And it, it, it worked out. I made that phone call, talked to that person. And, and even now I, I try to get involved in, you know, I'm really getting involved into the analytics side. So getting involved with conversations inside social media networks about, you know, analytics and having to learn and being involved in, different podcasts, you know, commenting on, on your, uh, your post there on LinkedIn kind of led me here. I, expanding that information or expanding your network for, for people, it really, it gives you access to knowledge you would never gain from Google. Mm. And it's, it's really, really great. So, so look, one thing that I think is a, a really good part of this story is the fact that you, you didn't study this, this skill, you learned it and you've, you've worked your way through it. So let, let's dive into the technical aspect a little bit because this, this is quite a technical role that you're involved in. So, so maybe let's just start off with the basics and explain what is Power BI. Okay, uh, so Power BI is a, is a program from Microsoft that enables you to connect to multiple different data sources, bring that information together, and then organize that information in a way to either answer a question or tell a story by using the data. Um, instead of having just a you know a standard spreadsheet or having to guess what's going on, you can take this large amount of data, millions and millions of rows, and, and put together a trend that you would maybe not ever known existed and then exploit that in a way to make yourself more profitable or have better customer service or make your equipment last longer. I mean, it literally, that data can control every aspect of your business. And, and when something that I love to do is as I was starting to look at all that information and I was able to correlate what happens in the business, cause I've been in the business aspect of it my whole life with, you know, Hey, it's interesting that when this changed, this part of the business changed and, and understanding the reasons why, and then and say, Hey, well, it worked for this location. Let's see happens if we make these changes over here. And then seeing that needle move, it it's really makes a big difference. And, and Power BI gives you the ability to visualize that information. Instead of just looking at numbers on a page, you can see a trend or you can you can really pull out the, the little pieces that make up how to make more money or how to do a, a process or a question better or whatever the case may be. You can, that visualization that really really pinpoints and pulls out that information that is what's really needed that you can't necessarily get by looking at numbers on a spreadsheet. Mm. And let's go down the, the technical aspect a little bit. Um, so, so you said multiple data sources, but sometimes the data isn't in the right format that you need it. It might not be um, in the right table, the right view. So, so uh, within Power BI, when you connect to a data source, I'm assuming you have like a data warehouse where you create like cubes, let's just call it. Mm -hmm. So is that something that you're involved in as well? 
Uh, to a point, you know, you know, at some belt we do have, um, you know, like our BI teams that do all the data infrastructure and all that, um, as well. But even with being able to connect to a, a, a data source, you, you've got to do some of that ETL, the, you know, the transformation load, extract transformation load, um, and understand how that process works to be able to, to work for what you're doing for your report. Um, so if I have a particular say my reports to answer a particular question and you know i have to some of it's going to exist inside this data set some of it's going to exist in this data set but then i have to kind of combine both those together and then find a relationship between the two that makes them work and then not only that but sometimes i have to you know format the data to get it into the way that i needed to really just present to whoever the customer may be whether it's somebody in our business or, or not. And so having that understanding of, of what you're looking at for one, and then two, having the ability within Power Query or whatever the side of um, inside Power BI that you can kind of just manipulate the data into a way that works for your report to answer the question. Because um, not everything is just laid out simply of, you know, oh, here's a, here's a flat table, you know, let's throw these columns in here, here's a pretty graph. It's, it's usually not that simple. You know, I, I would say a good 70, 80% of your time is actually formatting the data, organizing it in a way, and then actually testing to make sure that the way you have it laid out is correct uh, and that it actually um, correlates with what you're trying to say. Whereas the last 10 or 20% is building the visualizations and, you know, making it look pretty, um, for whoever you're building it for. So there's, there's a lot of digging and testing that goes around in the background. Yeah. That's an important point to make that people that are listening to this podcast don't think that they can just download power BI and then start making pretty dashboards <laughs> <laughs> straight away. There's a lot of legwork that goes into formatting that data and getting it in the right, the right um, data set. So, so in terms of um, you mentioned customers, so your customer is the internal business. Mm -hmm. So how, how do you deliver these, these dashboards? Uh, so depending on, you know, what group I'm speaking to, if I'm speaking to, you know, you know, executive levels, or if I'm doing something internal for our team, like, you know, mine's a product lines team, you know, it's built differently. If I'm, if I'm doing something that's going to be for the field, so say it's going to be going out to you know, all of our stores and it's going to be consumed by a thousand different people, it really changes how you need to put the report together. Because I know, you know, people on my team say there's six to 10 people on it. I know what their technical expertise is. I know what they look for and how they, they would navigate through a report. And plus, it's easy for me to just talk with them one-on-one -on -one to be able to get through a report very easily. Whereas if I'm building it for a thousand different people, I have to encompass the idea of, I just need to be able to hand this to them and understand what the information means. So it needs to be simple. It needs to be laid out in a way that they can navigate, that they can get to their answers in a quick fashion. Because um, if you hand it to some people and if they get into it and they don't understand how it works, they're not going to believe in it. And that really affects your adoption rate. So if if they're not using the stuff that you're giving them, then it's it's essentially useless. Uh, so it's very important, you know, to me on my side, it's where I use some of my past experience as a web designer is knowing when somebody looks at a page, what are they going to go to? What, where are their eyes going to be drawn to? What do I want them to click on? How do I want to explain this side of a graph versus this side? Um, 
and I try to bring that in some of the reports that I build because it's very important that they can easily navigate and get the information they want without having to spend a lot of time. And, you know, you get a thousand people and it takes them an hour to understand something. That's a lot of man hours. Mm. So it, it's very important to make it just easy, simple, click, here's your information compared to if it's a tool for my internal team, I can have that those extra drill throughs or I can have those ability for them to dig into the information in different ways and manipulate it themselves. So it's at that point, it's more of a tool than just a report. And so basically uh, there's a user experience element to these, these reports and these dashboards, but let, let's take a step back. Like what's the, the process to actually build one of these? Do you start with the problem on, on the decision that someone's trying to make is an important factor that, I believe is that there's, there's no point creating a dashboard if you're not going to actually use it to make a decision. So, so what's the actual starting process to actually commence the creation of, of a dashboard or a report? Um, so it's, I say two different ways. One is obviously where somebody just comes to you and say, Hey, I need this. Um, and then the other one is, uh, the see a need, fill a need kind of scenario to where you see a process that somebody's going through whether you're on a conference call or you're watching them to go through something or you're just paying attention to how your team operates. And then you can say, Hey, I can do it better this way. Uh, and so I, I do a little bit of both of those, you know, obviously I get some of, you know, the people come to me and said, Hey, I need to have a view that shows me this so that I can, I can fix this problem. And, and from my point of view, understanding how the business works helps in my favor compared to other people who are just coming into it. Because when they say, hey, I need to understand how utilization trends worked over blah, 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 blah for this reason, I know exactly what they're talking about without having them explain it. Mm. And so, you know, that's at that point, I'm building a report to answer a question. And then on the other side, like I said, if, if I'm watching or paying attention and truly understanding the processes that we go through that my team and the teams that, you know, around me go through, then I can look at what we do and say, hey, there's a better way to do this, and this is how we do it. And then I build it into Power BI. Mm. With, with those questions, sometimes the person doesn't know what they want, and they might ask you for a certain type of report, and they get it, and then they realize that they actually wanted something different. Does that happen often? Oh, yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, and. And that's a, something that I kind of gained as from, again, from being a web designer, because you go to a, talk to a business owner, they just want their information on the internet and they have an idea in their, in their head what they want. Uh, but sometimes it's very difficult for people to portray what they want and, and then have that other person understand it. It's kind of like that, uh, that game where they have somebody tell a secret to this person and to this person and it goes through a room and by the time it gets to the last person, it's not the same. Mm. Um, there's that that loss in translation that happens. So it, there's definitely a lot of back and forth, a lot of collaboration. You have to um, truly understand the problem and build it with the aspect of if I'm the person sitting in that shoe, if I'm the manager or if I'm, you know, the director of this and I'm trying to answer this question, what do I want it to look like? What's the, the, what am I trying to get to? That little nugget of information that's going to be the aha moments for whenever I'm having a conversation with somebody and so that's kind of what you got to bring to the table is when you're building it is truly understanding what the question, the problem is, and then having that collaboration with the person through the process, you know, Hey, this is what I got so far. Is this look like what you need? Um, and you know, and a lot of times, you know, these are questions that have been around. So they have other reports that 
they use to get there that just may not be the greatest. So, you know, hey, give me your Excel sheets that you use to come up with this information you have now. And that way I can kind of use what you're using now, but make it better. Mm. And then, so so once you, you deliver the report to somebody, um, it's like a living document, yeah? It continuously might evolve and you can repurpose those dashboards and other things as well. It's an important factor is it's not just like one-time use. So you can reuse it in other reports as well, yeah? Most definitely. So Power BI is very powerful in the fact that you can create a data set and then connect to that same data set multiple times. Um, and it's not just like using the same Excel model or Excel spreadsheet with the same columns. You know, you could have a data model that has five different tables that have relationships all built that has just some of it could be just very minute details that you built into this model, whereas the report you built on it initially doesn't have those minute details, but this other team over here might need it. So you can take this, you know, the whole idea is that when you spend the time to build a data model and you're putting this information together is that you want it to fit more than one role. You don't want it to be, all right, I'm just going to build this one report for this one thing and that's it and you're never going to touch it again. It needs to be something that could evolve into something bigger or better mm-hmm. or, you know, this department can use it, but now this other department can build off of it. And so you can, you can, can you can build infinite amount of reports off the same data set and that way it, it makes it a very powerful tool when you're trying to collaborate across different departments. Mm. And then the cost of doing it as well, like if we go back to maybe building a report, like a static report in like Crystal, or Crystal report, that the cost and effort to build that is quite expensive and it can take a long time. And once you build it, it's static. So that's probably something that's very, uh, needs to be brought up as awareness as well, that these are, yes, there needs to be a thought process into it, but you can deploy stuff quite quickly. Oh yeah, most definitely. I mean, the, the modeling part, like I was saying before is, is 80% of the work and you know, the you know, modeling, the information, testing to make sure it's right. And the last 10 or 20% is, is the making it pretty, you know, the organizing the way that it tells the story that they want. So if you think about it in that aspect, if you do the data model that can now build multiple reports, 80% of the job is already completed. And now you're just doing the last 10 or 20% multiple different times and you're getting uh, all these different great reports off of it. So it, it goes a long ways when, you know, if you go to answer a question that says, you know, hey, this is what I need. And then, you know, 80% of your time is building a, a data model. And then the last 20% is really, you know, putting it out there for people. And now if you get go to answer a second question, you're gonna have to do that all over again. Mm. Whereas in Power BI and the way things are laid out, you, you can then just connect to it and then spend only 10 or 20% now to build a completely different report with the same information that's just formatted in a different way and tells a completely different story. Now, now Sunbelt obviously has a whole team that helps manage these B, these BI and create these BI reports, but mm-hmm. independents don't have the resources to do this. So do you think it's more that the, the software providers in the industry need to provide more assistance in this, or maybe there needs to be companies? Like how, how do you think independents could sort of manage that BI side? Well, Power BI itself, the actual program itself that you can put on your on your desktop is free. So that's that's a one great part. That conversation we had earlier, which is having access to the data. You know, when you have ten machines, it's one thing, but when you don't have the other, uh, it's kind of hard to bring out those nuances. Now, I think it is very important if you have a 
a program or a computer program or you know whatever your software is that you're using that it collects the data for you uh, in a way that whether you're able to connect to it through some a service that they provide or have a way that you can connect to it yourself that um, can really get that information that you need because truly that point of sale and how you write your work orders and how that's that's where your data points are created it's those those constant transactions and if you have a, a software system that can record that information and gives you the ability to connect to it mm. whether through something that they already have as a service or being able to download the desktop version of power bi and then build your own reports off of it um which you know power bi you can if you can export it into excel you can load that into power bi and build your reports off of it that way so mm. um it's very important that your the rental software that you use actually collects those data points uh to be able to utilize it the way it needs to be. Yeah, it's an interesting topic because I think a lot of independents see their technology as a cost rather than an investment. Uh, any of the, the major players in the market realize that they can't get to a certain size without having the right technology stack behind them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that I've always put it is like you spend, these big companies will spend millions, even independents will spend millions of dollars on, on equipment but then they don't spend the money on the technology to help them make decisions. It's really something that if you don't make that change, then you're sort of putting yourself in a box. Uh, and I think when the next generation of people that are coming through, uh, like they're, they're expecting to be able to use that data easily. They're expecting to be able to use their mobile phones very easily. Um, is, is that something that you think is like that change is happening now across the industry? Oh, I, I, most definitely. I mean, if you look at everything we do now, there is data behind it. And if you are not taking advantage of that, you are missing out tremendously. Um, something that I use as an analogy is like using you know, hand tools as a carpenter. If, if you have a beam that is 20 foot long and you put the level at one end and it just looks like it's barely off and you're like, oh, it's okay, you know, it's fine. Um, or even if you don't have that at all, if you're a business owner, you're not paying attention to these metrics and you're not even looking at how far off that beam is. What you don't realize is being slightly off at this end doesn't seem that bad, but if you're expanding and you're growing, you add a 10 years onto it or you multiply yourself by five times. Now that little bit off on one end is, is huge on the other end. Um, so it's kind of like building a house without a level. If, if you don't know how you're tracking and you don't know what, what you're looking at, you, you're going to put yourself in a position that you don't want to be in down the road, whether it be, you know, by expanding or by just time in general, because mm. if you're slightly off now, it's not going to get better until you self-adjust. Mm. And it's, you know, it's kind of like I said, building a house with, without a level, it's not a very good thing to do. Yeah. And even if you, if you want to be acquired and someone wants to know more about your, your business and the data behind it, mm-hmm. if you don't have the data, like, you're going to have to try and dig it up or you're going to try and prove it. It's even planning maybe in the future to be acquired is a big factor around having the right data behind your business. Most definitely. And, you know, and in all reality, if, if you truly understand your business, then you have to have a firm grasp on the numbers because when you go to do anything, whether you're being acquired, you're going to the bank, you're talking to whatever else, the rental industry is completely different with how we, we operate with, you know depreciation schedules and and everything else that goes into it and 
having that information to back you up will get you further in business than you would ever get without it. Mm, no, for sure. I love that analogy. That's that's a that's a really good one. Oh, with the levels? <laughs> yeah, it's good. Yeah, I mean it's true. You know, you go to you go you put a beam out there, and if you're off by a quarter of a bubble on this side, it doesn't yeah. seem that big, but you know, twenty feet out, that thing's ten foot off. It's it makes a big difference. Yeah, that's a good one. So let's learn a little bit more about Cody as well. So uh, obviously, working through the family business now within Sunbelt. So is there anyone in particular that you think has played a big influence on your career, maybe from like a mentor perspective? Um. Yeah, obviously, you know, my father played a, a huge role in that. He was the one that uh, brought me to work every day, kind of kept me in the rental industry. And even though I'm sure as a teenager, you know, not wanting to work, uh, he really instilled that that mentality of if you want something, you got to go get it. Um, you know, he, he really grew our business. He worked at it all the time. He was a very, very hardworking. He is a very hardworking person. And... I think having that that person, that like role model to show, hey, if you want something, you got to go get it. You got to be willing to work for it, hustle. You know, you, you don't work nine to five and go home and sit on sit on the couch and watch TV and then complain about everything. You know, if you want something to happen, you got to do it for yourself. And I truly believe that that's what kind of gets me that mentality of, hey, I want to learn more. I want to do more. Uh, if I want to become an analytic manager, then I need to, you know, go out and make it happen and not just sit back and wonder why I can't. Mm. And uh, so he's he's definitely that person that made that true. And then, yeah, talking about like the, the motivation, like you obviously were mentioning earlier around like the side hustles, like the amount, like you always had that motivation to to be doing more. Uh, is that something that you have always had whole, your whole life or you got it later on? Uh, I think I always worked a lot when I was in you know, high school because you know you, you had to uh, if you want to have a vehicle, which is very important when you're in high school. Uh, but, you know, I, I think I did always have that drive, you know, the, because right after that, I, you know, I got out, I was mowing grass and then next thing you know, I'm building websites and I'm always trying to find that that next big thing, or my mind's always working about how to how to expand, how to do better, and um, so it's always kind of just been there in the background. And I think having an environment around me that allowed me to expand on that, I was it was you know my family, you know my job now even Sunbelt are very uh, very supportive of that type of mentality of. You know, hey, you want to do better? You know, this is how you do it, and this mm-hmm. is how we get there. I think if I didn't have the people around me or the uh, the support, you know, it would probably not be as uh, prevalent in how I am today. Because you know, constantly getting beat down, sometimes it yeah yeah it makes it more difficult. But always having you know my parents or my family or you know, like I said, even Sunbelt now, you know, as as I'm growing into what I'm doing always being there like hey if you want to do something we're we're here we'll give you the tools you need um you know you can do it all the time you know every time i went to go take a test to get certified in something that was very difficult you know family's always there hey you've always excelled in everything you've done it's no problem don't worry about it uh, whereas if i had a support system that was like i don't know why you're doing this you're not going to get anywhere with it it probably would have been a lot different yeah that's yeah it's nice to hear so then if you could give some advice to young cody what would you say uh, invest in Google. No, <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
You know, I, I think I was always into the the weather, and 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 honestly, I didn't get into technology until after I was, you know, well out of high school. You know, was in my my twenties, and I think I kind of had that 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 understanding or that 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 need to know more about technology when I was in high school, but I didn't really push it at that point. Um, I think if I were to go back to a young Cody, you know, high school and said, Hey, you know, you're going to love technology one day. You're going to love computer stuff. You're going to love all this. You, you know, study it now, you know, get into it now instead of, you know, waiting till my mid twenties to realize, Hey, this is something I really love to do. Um, not obviously that it held me back any, but I think realizing that at a younger age would probably, uh, help me expand a little bit more mm, yeah well 25 is still a pretty young age yeah <laughs> yeah well, i'm talking more you know i'm only 35 now so uh um uh, you know but thinking back to you've got a whole lifetime ahead of you yeah exactly so you know talking to the my younger self because yeah going through high school which i mean obviously technology 20 years ago is a lot different than it was now but i, I didn't realize how much i would enjoy what i do now until I really just it, until I got exposed to it. Yeah, and that wouldn't be possible, really. Well, I guess you were doing stuff with technology beforehand, but then Sunbelt really helped you expand that in the in the the data side. Oh yeah, most definitely. Because I honestly I didn't even know what data analytics was until Sunbelt bought us. Um, you know, I always had that that really analytical kind of way of thinking, and and then when all that information became available to me, it's just like I went into overdrive. Like I had to know everything i had to see everything and that's what really got me into you know doing what i do now and and it's funny because i enjoy it so much and i love everything about it and i talk about it all the time but then you know my family and friends don't really understand what it is <laughs> yeah and so i'll get to talking about something and this this glazed look yeah. comes over their face and the next thing i know i'm talking for two hours about you know, how to put together this data set or how, you know, data analytics and AI is going to change the world. And, uh, and they obviously don't care. But <laughs> <laughs> the same thing happens with my podcast. I'm always talking to my family about it and they're like, just like nodding mostly. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's, it's really, I think it's a testament to how much I really love it compared to, you know, not that I didn't love what I did before, but it's just like the, the, that fuel and passion behind it. It's, you know, I'm constantly trying to learn more and it's just, it's it's almost addictive to just know that there's so much more information out there and the more i learn it's, it's the more i truly understood that i didn't know anything before mm. and um so it, it's really intriguing yeah it's like that 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 almost like the snake and ladders yeah like you yeah. you open up a door and you think that you know so much and then you you get there and then you realize you actually know nothing and then you, you think that you know everything again, and then you go to the next level, and then you realize, oh my god, what the hell? Yeah, you <laughs> I know, still know nothing. <laughs> I uh, actually come to that here just recently. I, you know, I've been inside of our, air, you know, inside of our company. I've been reaching out to people who do what I do, and because I, I, you know, expanding on that network and, and trying to build that collaboration. And you're like, oh, I think I've got a pretty good grasp on, you know, on this analytic thing or on DAX or what, you know, whatever else it could be. And then you talk to somebody or you see somebody else's work and you're like, man, I didn't even know you could do this. This yeah. is amazing. And then you talk to that person and you're, it just makes you feel about this small again. And you're like, all right, now I got something I need to work on. And that's what kind of fuels that, that desire to do better. Mm. Yeah. From the technology side, 
it's it's quite amazing that like you, you could write this really long <laughs> uh, algorithm or, or code code base in there, and then you think you've done a good job, and then you talk to someone else, and they've just got like a one liner. <laughs> <laughs> it does the same thing. <laughs> it does the same thing, and it's like ten times faster. So oh, yeah. it's uh, stuff like that. Then you realize that there's there's, there's levels to this, and and you you don't get in anything. You don't get somewhere and just stay stagnant. Like you. You need to realize that you need to be always evolving and improving and learning and there's always someone like what do they say like you should always employ people smarter than you because you want to learn from like you want the best in the business and you want to be learning in your personal development same thing like there's always someone better out there than you and in networking allows that opportunity to grow oh yeah most definitely i mean everybody i talk to i learn something from them and and like honestly when i first started getting into this I was probably bugging a lot of people because I was wanting to learn more about Power BI. So every report I came across, I looked up who the owner was. I was like, hey, send me the original files. And I'm sitting there trying to re, uh, you know, re-engineer, you know, reverse engineer everything that they did. And then as I did it, I would be like, all right, I need to know how they did this, this, and this. And then I'm calling them up. Hey, how, how did you do this? Or why'd you do it this way? And, you know, and, and really when I first started, I was seeing some of the stuff that, that people were doing and I'm like, Oh, that's, that's not the right way to do that. And I don't know why they did it that way. But then when I talked to them and hearing the, everything behind it, I'm like, that's pretty ingenious. You know, yeah. I, I'm glad I, instead of just saying, Oh, they didn't know what they were doing. I called and talked to them. And that's that essentially is, uh, how I expanded into everything I've, I've done is I called every person I could think of and just asked them, Hey, how'd you do this? Or why'd you do it this way? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, something as simple as why'd you put a zero in front of this formula? Uh, you know, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And then they're like, oh, well, because if it comes up blank, then you're going to have zero there. Okay. You know, that, that <laughs> seems so simple that I, I was like, that just doesn't make sense why you would want to do that. Yeah. But it's uh, it's just a little different things like that. Yeah. But the one that always used to get me, because I've done quite a bit in Power BI as well, was when the, the, the I would upload data in there and... I would be trying to use the date for something, but then Power BI would think it's like a, a number and then the formula wouldn't work. And I was like, why, why is this not working? <laughs> and just like a simple thing of like storing it as a date correctly at the start solves that entire problem, but it can like lead you down this rabbit hole if you don't actually get that preparation right. Oh yeah, yeah. And then even, you know, using time intelligence DAX functions, if you, uh, you know, first you got to get that, that date into a date format. And then you have to have, if you're going to mark it as a, as your date table for your entire model, it can't have any gaps in the dates and it has to be perfect. And, and you don't realize, you know, a lot of times I'll come across a report that doesn't have a designated date table or have a column as a date table. And they're trying to figure out a way to do some kind of formula around year over year or month over month or any kind of relative date function. Yeah. And, you know, Hey, if you, uh, if you have this date table and you mark this little box, it makes it tremendously easier when you're doing any kind of relative date functions. Yeah, definitely. For sure. So then going across all that, like you've had almost like multiple lives in in the rental industry. So, so how do you define success now? I guess it'd be never giving up and, and never stopping if at, one point, whether it had been from the time that my grandfather started it to my father took over to when I took over, if they just at, at any point said, all right, I'm good with where we're at. We're just going to sit here and coast. And 
we would all would have failed. You know, the, it would have stopped then. Eventually, it would have went stagnant. It would have went down. Um, so, the fact that my grandfather never stopped, my my father never stopped thinking about, hey, how can we expand? How can we do better? You know, um, what is something different that I can do? Um, you know, in our industry to make it better because I mean, we all rent the same stuff. You know, that this genie lift here is the same genie lift that's you know down the street. But what is it that I'm doing different that's going to make them come to me instead of them? Mm. And so sitting down and just thinking about that and never stopping the innovation around the rental industry, um, or I guess any industry that you're in, is truly what helps you be successful. Because even if you're going to have your ups and downs, there's times where we went backwards or there's times where, you know, things happened. You know, 2008 was, was a terrible year. But because of that and how we changed, you know, we had some of the best years afterwards. Um, We didn't just sit back and be like, oh, well, you know, 2008 was a terrible year. You know, what can we do? We we thought differently and and we came back stronger. So I would say that would be kind of what defines your success. If 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 you don't have that drive, then I don't even if you're successful right now, I don't think it'll last. You've got to have that ability to keep going. Very nice. All right, Cody. Well, thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been great.